This is Her Self-Expression with Beverly Price. Beverly is a divorce coach, podcast host, and advocate for women's empowerment. Did you know that studies show 79% of women don't feel confident? Four out of every five women feel less than other women. 62% don't believe they're intelligent, and one out of every two don't think they're beautiful. Beverly sees this as a tragedy. She's on a mission to empower every woman listening to feel confident, worthy, intelligent, and beautiful. This podcast empowers you to say yes to the next phase of your life and become the empowered woman you were made to be. Tune in to learn the steps you can take to immediately discover who you really are. Find your authentic voice, discover your magic, and own your own power. And now, here's Beverly. Enjoy the show. Hi, beautiful. I hope you're having an awesome day. I'm Beverly Price, divorce coach and advocate for women's empowerment. I want women who are going through the divorce process, whether it's before, during, or after, to go through their journey more informed, in less time, with more support and less pain than I did, so they can live thriving lives without making the same mistakes over and over. I've helped hundreds of women on their journey. If you'd like to work with me, schedule a breakthrough session at my website, HerSelfExpression.com. I'd love to help you. Now, here's something critical. I've learned that studies show 79% of women do not feel confident. Four out of five consider themselves less than other women. 62% do not believe they are intelligent. And one out of every two don't think they're beautiful. This is not only a tragedy, but criminal. And I want to move the needle on women's self-empowerment, and I'm on a mission to do that. I want every woman to feel confident, equal to, intelligent, and beautiful. And that's why I bring you this podcast. Now, today I have these questions for you to reflect on. Do you know who you are? Do you use your voice or someone else's? Do you try to please people all of the time? Do you try to please him? Do you avoid conflict as much as possible? Well, my guest today is Amy Green-Smith. Amy is going to talk with me today about people-pleasing and speaking up for yourself, which is such an incredible topic about women's empowerment. Amy Green-Smith is a certified and credentialed life coach and hypnotherapist, masterful speaker, and personal empowerment expert. Amy uses her roles as coach, writer, podcaster, and speaker to move individuals beyond limiting beliefs and sabotaging mindsets to a place of radical personal empowerment and self-worth. How incredible. With acute focus on helping people find their voice, Amy uses her popular weekly podcast, The Bold Face Truth, to address issues of worthiness, self-confidence, and letting go of people-pleasing to assist listeners in creating and living radically joyful lives. Amy has been instrumental in aiding thousands of women in stepping into their own authentic power and crafting the lives they desire. Hi, Amy. Thanks so much for being my guest today. It's so good to have you here. Likewise, I'm excited to connect with you. So 
can I, may I call you Bev? Do people call you Bev? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Okay, good. You know, most people call me Beverly, but close friends call me Bev. So okay, that's great. perfect. You never know if it's like, oh, I can't stand it. Don't do it. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just don't call me Bevy. Bevy. Got it. Got no, it. No, no, no. Okay. I appreciate the boundary. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, can you tell us a little bit about your own personal journey to empowerment? Sure. I know that you can definitely relate that oftentimes our stories and the things that we go through end up being sort of the mission and the message that we start sharing in the world. And my situation is very much the same. I grew up in a very stringent, dogmatic household that where there was a, a very strict faith tradition in, in my family growing mm. up. And it was something that as I grew up and as I got older, I didn't necessarily really align with any longer. And things kind of came to a head for me in 07 when my father passed away. And at the time, you know, just for a, a bit of context, I'm the oldest of two or I'm the oldest of three children. And I have two younger siblings who had both gotten in trouble with the law and had didn't go to school and had a really kind of tumultuous adolescence and early adulthood. But I started mm -hmm. working when I was 14 and put myself through college and got married. And it, so you can kind of see it. It's sort of the I was the quintessential good girl. And mm -hmm. by all accounts, you know, checking off all of the boxes. So my father passes in 07. And be, at the time I was working as a makeup artist and I was very very convicted that I wanted to both speak at the service as well as do his makeup for his viewing. So, wow, dead dad makeup time. And and so I feel like I'm kind of winning at daughter that day. You know, I've mm -hmm. done makeup on my deceased father. I've spoken to this crowd of hundreds and we get back home to my mom's house and she finds it the most opportune time to say, because I no longer subscribe to the faith traditions I was raised with, she felt, she said, it just feels as though your father and I have failed as parents. So it was Ooh. the best opportunity to say, you're kind of a failure and a disappointment to us, even though mm -hmm. you just did makeup on your dead dad. And she so, stuck it to you, she, huh? Well, and really the only thing I could kind of muster in that moment was to say, I really don't think you should say that to a child. I don't think that's helpful, especially <laughs> given the circumstances. But I'll tell you right. what, that, that was really a definitive shift moment for me where I realized that I could continue to shape shift. I could continue to pr put up a fake front. I could continue to pretend that I agreed with her and her beliefs. And I really didn't. And there was there was, mm -hmm. there was a really pivotal moment where I had to decide I either continue to shapeshift and make you happy or I choose me. And I, I really don't think that a majority of our difficult conversations or speaking up for ourselves instances or boundaries really – involve an ultimatum but sometimes they do like with divorce right yeah. and like with differences of spiritual beliefs and so in that situation I realized okay 
if push comes to shove and I have to choose between making somebody else happy and making me happy, I'm going to choose me. And that really was sort of the impetus of the work Good job. that I do yeah. now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Super. So why do you think women really feel the need to please others and what causes it? I can hear some of it in your story. Mm-hmm. So what causes it? Well, if we're talking about just sort of, you know, the basic scientific understanding of our biology, if we look back to, for example, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we can see that one of our principal primary human needs as humans is a sense of belonging. So for our primitive Mm -hmm. ancestors, if you did not belong to some sort of group, that literally meant death. And so Mm -hmm. part of the way that we can take care of ourselves is to make sure that we're approved of by a group of people. So that same tactic of of self-preservation has carried on to our modern experience. So now, even though we wouldn't we wouldn't consciously say, okay, if my my ex-in-laws are out to get me, then I might die. We don't we don't think that necessarily consciously, but from like a lizard brain perspective, that's what's happening. We're thinking if I'm not approved of, if I'm not accepted, I might actually perish. And again, that's very much the the subconscious running beneath the surface. But that's one of the reasons why we do it. It's most of the time you can look at folks who have severe people pleasing tendencies or who are even just heavily invested in the opinions of other people. And it comes back to a way in which they actually stayed safe throughout their youth or even like in their first marriage. I've seen people who gave so much in in Mm -hmm. a marital situation that they lost who they were, right? But it, they didn't exactly. They didn't go into it going, I can't wait to lose who I am. They go into it going, how do I take care of myself? How do I make sure there's not an eruption or violence or anger or an argument? And that's why we do it. But a lot of times that is rooted in something in our childhood. Shocker. So <laughs> I think understanding that, we can give ourselves a lot more compassion that we don't just adopt behavioral tactics out of nowhere. Usually they're in some way trying to take care of ourselves. Absolutely. Because I was going to ask that it does seem that there's this root in childhood that many people experience that lead to the need to first please your parents. Yes. And then it continues throughout your life. So for those parents... What can we do to break that cycle? Right. Well, so there's good news and bad news here. The The bad news is you can be the most stellar utopian parent and your kids could still have a lot of things that they need to work through. Reason being is we are a product of a culture that that weighs the value of different humans based off of a lot of different criteria. And we don't have to get into all of that. But historically, we have known that we value men more than we value women in in this society, right? And so 
even if you instilled all of these values or all of these incredible messages with your child, they still have to contend with the outside world. And that's also amplified if they're a part of any sort of marginalized community, if they have a disability, if they're a person of color, if they're queer, etc. So I think there's a, a way in in which you can just encourage yourself that, okay, I'm going to do everything I can and give them as many tools as I can so that when right. things do get difficult, they do know where to go. But I think mm-hmm. that on a very, very basic level, one of the, the, the good news, what we can do is start teaching emotional intelligence because I think that is one of the most profound concepts that we're not taught, disproportionately men are not taught, and leads to a lot of violence, a lot of lack of communication, a lot of inability to foster depth and intimacy in a relationship. So if you can teach children from a very early age that you're always allowed to feel what you feel and you're always responsible for what you do with that emotion and saying like, okay, right. these are these are just messages. You met all emotions are simply just messages. They're not negative. They're not positive. They're just there to teach us something, to share something with us. So teaching children that, that like, okay, you're really angry. Here, why don't you go over here and scribble like crazy and let it all out. And then let's process that and talk about what got you so upset. And then let's look at what sort of steps do we need to take it, you know, take to rectify it. But I think one of the most harmful things we do is tell people you shouldn't feel a specific way. And Absolutely, and that I happens agree. a lot in in marriages, too, of like, well, that's mm-hmm. not what I meant. So you shouldn't feel that way. And it's like, well, that's not yeah. how emotions work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. I was in a marriage one time where I said, you know, I'm feeling down and blue. And their comment back to me was, you have no reason to feel down and blue. Right. You shouldn't feel down and blue. You're not down and blue. You don't look it on the outside. So it's, you know, I think it's a really interesting concept. Yeah. When I think about people pleasing, I think about, you know, in going back to the parental kind of situation, I think about the things I did to try and get that approval and try and please. And one of the messages I was given is that children were meant to be seen and not heard. And I think that leads a woman to not speak up for herself, not have her voice, not step into her own power. How does a woman do that given the messages she may have been given early in her life? Well, I I think this is one of those things that I would love to just like nicely tidy, like wrap up in a tidy bow in 30 minutes. But this, <laughs> is, this is a lot of undoing. And for many of us, this is also generational trauma that we're unpacking. Right. Because if, if we've grown up in the 70s or 80s or 90s or whatever, and and that was difficult, imagine what that was like growing up in the 50s or the 40s or the 20s even. Right. So we're what we are doing is we're not only healing our own trauma, but we're also healing generations of trauma. And this, this particularly Gen X women and elder Gen X women are the first generation as a whole that are actually getting into action around that healing and being deliberate about what they're infusing into their children, which I think is really 
pretty incredible, right? But as far as where do we go, you know, from a very meta perspective, I think it's important to understand feminism. I think it's important to understand cultural implications and where these notions of women are less than, or if you're in a disabled body, you're less than. And that's sort of how systems of oppression have always worked. So I think there's a way in which we look at at the meta perspective, and then we also look at the micro perspective and how does how can I move the needle with just me? And I think one of the right. most fierce acts of reclamation of our worth is to simply say, I am enough and I matter. I think one of the most yes. the fiercest act of rebellion or of resistance is to say, I do matter. I am enough. Mm-hmm. I am worthy. Right. And I am deserving. And those what you have to understand about that is that is a belief. And beliefs are malleable. They are absolutely changeable. If you've met anyone who learned something and they basically changed their mind overnight and they have created a new belief, that is simply a feeling of certainty about something. So if you have had a feeling of certainty that you are worthless or not enough up until now, the great news is we can actually shift that and change that. But that does involve mm-hmm. some introspection and some deep work and and getting some support. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. So how do you move a woman to a type of radical personal empowerment and self-worth when she comes from a position of not having those? Well, I think one of the the first places to look, and I'm sure you can see this a lot in in the work that you do, is are there elements that we need to eliminate that are making your job a lot harder? So for example, if you were in recovery for, for alcoholism, you're not going to go hang out at the bar and make your job harder. You're going to go, okay, I'm going to remove right. everything from my home. I'm not going to go to these establishments. And the same is true if we're wanting to cultivate a really powerful sense of self-worth and be able to speak up for ourselves. We need to look around and see who and what in my environment don't support that. And I'll tell you that in my experience, it's usually in these two categories. Well, I should say three categories. One your intimate partnership. Does this person mm-hmm. foster my self-worth or does they do they make it more difficult? My work environment, am I surrounded by people day in and day out? We spend most of our time in our work environments. Does right. that, is that where I'm like scratching and clawing to be seen or to be heard? Or is it something where my voice is applauded? And also family. That's another one where we get sucked in sort of this obligatory place of I need to make everybody happy in order to keep everything copacetic. And that's also a fallacy. So I think looking at least that as sort of the the jumping off point of is there anything that I need to eliminate or scale down or is there someone I need to eliminate or scale down? And that's where we start to see boundaries come into play. And where we need to start really delineating the line between other people and self. And I would think, too, for the woman that doesn't want to get rid of some of that, Mm -hmm. the question becomes, what price are you willing to pay personally to hang on to that stuff and those relationships? 
And I don't yeah. think it's always I don't think it's always cut and dry. Sometimes it, mm. it, here this is my perspective, especially when it comes to interpersonal relationships. I believe as long as you are in a safe container where you're not abuse is not present and that's a huge caveat. If you're in a safe right. container, I believe that it is your job to at least be clear about what you need and give those other people the opportunity to be what you need. I see right. so often in the personal development atmosphere where people will just easily label somebody toxic so that they don't have to do the hard work of having a difficult mm -hmm. conversation. So it's so much easier right. for me to say, oh, you know, my mother-in-law or my ex or my boss, they're just <clears throat> toxic. When in reality, you have never actually expressed your grievance and and had a very specific request. Here's what I would like to see differently. And or you haven't done that in a in a way in which you can be heard. Sometimes we're like, yeah, I've spoken up a lot, but we've done it by berating the other person, by yelling and screaming, by being passive aggressive, by doing things instead of saying things. So unless you've had a real clear, soft, articulate expression of what you need, you probably haven't done your job yet. And exactly. it's not fair to call them toxic <laughs> if you haven't <laughs> asked for specific behavior to change in a way in which you can be heard. And I think that that's a huge, huge element of it. Awesome. So I work, as you know, with divorced women all through the process. Is people pleasing and not finding your voice and not speaking up, does it have a special implication for women in, at that stage of their life? Sure. I think this manifests in so many different ways. But in this particular transition, I think there's a pull to finish what you started, like that there's some sort of there's something wrong with you if you choose to quit a marriage when in reality that could mm -hmm. be one of the best decisions. You, sometimes I think it's exactly. it's that's the correct solution. The marriage was the wrong one. <laughs> like the divorce is the the right answer. Mm -hmm. I also think a lot of people could use a starter marriage or two. <laughs> In our in our culture. Anyway. I did that. Yeah. I mean, how much I did that. And yeah. how much did you learn and grow from that, you know? And I don't and I don't mean to be callous about that because I think it's it's so incredibly challenging and taxing to to go through that. But I do think that there's a way in which we go, what will other people think? You know, what mm -hmm. will my family think? What will their family think? Because sometimes you're done with the spouse, but you're madly in love with their family still. And mm -hmm. so, yeah. and there's additional elements of grief that are implicated when that happens. And so th there's all sorts of things. I think there's also boundaries in speaking up when folks want to ask you about it and you're not in a place mm -hmm. where you want to discuss it or talk about it. Right. So, and then I think there's also difficult conversations with the partner that you're separating from or having mm -hmm. understanding about d children or division of assets or whatever. And, and that's as unique as each scenario, right? Like we can give yes. you all the tools in the world, 
But if you are dealing with somebody who's incredibly adversarial or who refuses to talk, you know, that's that's a different different scenario altogether. But I think this this informs a lot of that. And I think it's kind of the ultimate antithesis to people pleasing to say, oh, no, I like me more than I care about bringing like being, quote, successful at this marriage. Like, no. You know, that's the ultimate, like, I choose me. And right. And I also think there's a reason why a majority of, of divorces are initiated by women. And yeah, 70 percent. 70 percent. And I think that there we have an epidemic happening where women are doing the work and they are seeing the therapists and they are hiring the coaches and they're dealing with partners who, at, le- at least from a heteronormative standpoint, are not rising to the occasion. And we're at a really unique place in our history where I think women are going, okay, I don't need you to get a credit card anymore. I don't need you to buy a home (laughs) anymore. Like I can do all of these things on my own. So I need you to actually be an equal partner and develop and grow and learn how to communicate. And if those things aren't, and I'm willing to do the same. That's the other thing is we're not demanding things that we're not doing as well. So there's definitely a shift that I think is happening. Um, but I absolutely I think, think the that's other shi- I think the other shifts that's happening is the divorce rate is slightly declining in the U.S., but for people over 50, it's doubling. And so I can see where you spent a long, long time asking for what you need or mm-hmm. not asking for what you need. And feeling stifled and small and like you're not heard. And all of a sudden it builds and builds and builds and boom, I've had enough. That's right. I can't take it anymore. And that's what I see is happening. They call it gray divorce. And I think that's a big issue. A hundred percent. Well, there's also something biologically that happens for those of us who identify as women too. I've just been learning this a lot going through my own like kind of perimenopausal journey and we are the way that our hormones change we get a surge of hormones that tell us take care and nurture we get more surge of hormones that go express yourself be creative get out there and do your most Ooh. meaningful work and so i think what we're willing to tolerate gets a lot smaller for multiple reasons yes. and but i think it can really truly be sort of this renaissance time for a lot of women of like, oh, wow, yes. I'm so valuable with or without a partnership. But I mean, even even really antiquated things like being given away at a at your wedding, like mm-hmm. that is that's rooted in, in women being property. The idea of taking a last name or or even requesting your hand in marriage, like all of those things we've re- I personally think we've been gaslit into thinking it's romantic when we still mm-hmm. have a moniker that says Mr. because a man, it doesn't matter if they're marriage material or not. But a woman, we need a delineation between Miss or Mrs. so we can know if you are available for essentially for purchase. Yes. Right. So we see mm-hmm. all of these things getting to a point now. And I'll tell you what, Bev, like the younger generations are not standing for it. They are not (laughs) tolerating any of it. Yeah. You probably see that with your girls, you know, and 
Yeah. So, so it's, I'm encouraged. And I also think there's this wonky place of like the elder Gen X young boomers where they're like, well, where does that leave me now? Like, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, there's a lot of undoing of Mm -hmm. social conditioning and, and what I thought a good girl was or a good mom or good wife and realizing that I, I don't have to be that. I don't have to fit into that in order to be valuable. Yeah. And I think the longer that you were in that frame of mind, the harder it is to step out of that frame of mind. The more people I see turning to, to people like you and I to get that help to make that transition. Absolutely. Listen, everyone. Please stay tuned. We'll be back in a moment where Amy will share her three actionable tips for you. We'll be right back. A woman's empowerment, confidence, and self-esteem plummet after divorce. There can be feelings of, I don't know who I am, or how can I survive this? As a divorce and empowerment coach of her self-expression, I am passionate about helping women conquer these negative thoughts and feelings by providing information and guiding them into action. I'm Beverly Price, and I've helped hundreds of women through being stuck in pain and fog go on to a new and exciting life where they thrive. Whether you are contemplating the divorce, in the process of divorce, recently divorced, or divorced long ago, whether you initiated the divorce or he did, you can move through the process onto a life of confidence, worth, and joy without the fear of repeating past mistakes. If that sounds interesting to you, let's talk. Go to herselfexpression.com, click on the button at the top of the homepage, and request your divorce breakthrough session. As you talk with me, you will discover a solution made just for you to move through the process and pass the emotions from your divorce on to the incredible next chapter of your life. And now back to the show. And we're back. Amy, what three actionable steps around people pleasing and using your voice would you give to the women in our audience? Ooh, okay. So the first thing that I would love for everybody to do is I want you to take an inventory of all of the situations or the specific people where you tend to complain about them the most. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times what will happen is we will be vocal, but we'll be vocal to the wrong person. So Mm -hmm. if you're really upset with your partner, your sister gets the earful. Right. Or if you're really upset with your boss, your partner gets the earful. So... I think those can be really great indications of like, who pisses me off the most? Who do I complain about chronically over and over again? I'm not talking about you just need to vent out a really rough day. We all Mm -hmm. have that. I'm talking about situations where you chronically complain about someone and you have not given voice to the issue you have with them. Mm -hmm. That's your first item of business because that will illuminate Here's a place for a boundary. Right. Okay. Another thing that you can start thinking about, and this is a concept that I call, you are responsible for your intention, not your reception. 
the idea behind this is it, it it's sort of a belief switch or sort of a, a reframe. So much of what we've been taught as women is if someone else is is pleased with me, then we're good. If they're not pleased with me, then there's something wrong with me. Mm. But if we switch that, instead of saying the reception is my responsibility, if I want to get a divorce and my parents don't think that I should, you know, am I responsible to make them happy? You are not responsible right. for the reception. You are responsible, responsible for, for the intention. That's right. And mm -hmm. your intention should be one or th that's for you to kind of craft. But it should be one in which you feel really powerful and proud of yourself the way that you conduct yourself. Mm -hmm. So it, I released a podcast ages ago that was a bit controversial and the reception was all across the board. Some people loved it. Some people hated it. Some people didn't even catch it. They were indifferent. But it would have been literally impossible for me to make all of those receptions congruent. I mm -hmm. could not make all of those people happy. So I had to go back and I had to look internal and go, am I at peace with how I showed up? Is there anything I need to clean up? Is there is my delivery something that I need to own? And I ultimately went, no, I'm okay with what I did, what I said, and how I showed up. And I'm going to let everybody else's reception be their responsibility. Right. So so that's the second thing is okay. you, are, you are responsible for your intention, not your reception. And let's see. As far as tactics for actually broaching a difficult conversation – so let's say you've decided, okay, I know I'm not responsible for how they receive this, but I do want to exemplify grace and kindness. I'm clear because I've done an inventory. I'm clear who I need to speak up with and what I need to do. So a couple of things as you're broaching the conversation. Get, con get conversational consent. A lot of times we go in kind of guns blazing because we feel all empowered because we just talked to our coach or our therapist and we're like, right, you know yeah. what? We got to talk. We got to. And, and maybe they just got chewed out by their boss, you know, and they're in just a crazy headspace or maybe they're just exhausted from work. Asking somebody for a conversation can, can already set it up so much easier. So even if you just say something like, hey, there's some stuff I'd really like to run by you. Are you able to have a conversation a little bit later after work? Just getting some sort of preparation. Another piece in having a difficult conversation, gosh, I could do this for hours and hours. So I'm trying to whittle it down to something really short. One is, is clarity, is being really crystallized in what you are asking for. So if you are saying something to a partner like, I need more romance, what does that mean? That's going to be very, very ambiguous. Right. One partner might think that means writing more love notes. The other person might think it's initiating sex. Right? Like, you know, or if you're saying I want more support around the house or I need you to be take more initiative at work. Right. So what does that mean? So it needs to be very crystallized, very linear. Of I would like the trash taken out every single Thursday. You know, mm -hmm. whatever. Right. Or I would like each, you know, each of us to decide on a date night once a month, the first Friday of every month, whatever. Okay. And alternate. So getting really clear. 
Okay. And the other is to, when you start your conversation, to own your piece in the matter. And sometimes your piece in the matter is that you've never said anything before. And so you're just mad about all these things and they have no idea. So just saying something like, hey, you know, I realize that I've been feeling fill in the blank. I've been feeling resentful. I've been feeling a little frustrated. And you would have no idea. And that's wildly unfair to you. Right. So I want to tell you what's going on with me. And I'm hoping we can come together with some sort of a solution. So there's sort of like a peppering of ideas. Absolutely. What great steps. I love it. So I have one question that I like to ask all my guests as I wrap things up. And that is, what does self-expression mean to you? Oh, gosh. You know, the the first thing I thought of was was really living in alignment with my values. And if I if I take that a little bit more granularly, I have a very specific value around adornment. Mm-hmm. And what that means essentially to me is that absolutely everything in my life needs decoration. Mm-hmm. So I can't have a notebook or a a cover for my computer that isn't wildly decorated. I can't right. have just like a black notebook. Like uh-huh. I'll lose my mind. So jewelry and even wrapping gifts, I could do that for hours, designing my home, you know, all of those things for me around adornment is very closely tethered to creativity for me. Mm-hmm. And that is one of the vehicles that I truly enjoy expressing myself through. Beautiful. I love it. So Amy, how can our listeners find you? Yeah. So my corner of the internet is over at amygreensmith.com. And all of those names are spelled the very basic way. (laughs) So literally nothing fancy, amygreensmith.com. And I have tons of freebies over there. I just throw out there that I tend to be a bit of a swear bear, a bit of a sailor Uh mouth. I've been tempering it quite nicely for Bev. I'm proud of myself. But I just want (laughs) to throw that out there. I appreciate it so much. That if you come over to that side, just <laughs> just be aware that's that is that is also a part of my self-expression that will okay. not be tempered. But so fair warning. But I do a lot of conversations like this too. I have a free podcast, free hypnosis, free workbooks, all sorts of stuff over there where where I do really like to give tangible tactical steps because I think okay. That's what we need. We don't need just like good ideas. We need really, what do I do? Exactly. Um, So Amy Greensmith. And then I like to say that like any self-respecting Gen Xer, I hang out the most on Instagram. So you can find me under the handle, hey, Amy Greensmith. Beautiful. Amy, thank you so much for being my guest today. I really have enjoyed it and learned so much. Oh, I've had such a blast. Thanks so much, Beth. Oh, you're so welcome. And all of Amy's information will be available in the show notes along with mine. You can find them at HerSelfExpression.com under the podcast tab. Please connect with Amy to learn more about people pleasing and speaking up for yourself. Thank you for being with Amy and myself on this episode of Her Self-Expression. I love connecting you with incredible women who can provide actionable steps for you to take on your journey. 
So please follow our podcast and share it with your friends so that we can pay it forward. Remember, the more you express yourself, the better you feel. But most importantly, you don't have to go it alone. I've been through my own empowerment journey and my own divorce journey to get to the other side and have the experience to guide you. I'm here to help. Thank you and take care. Thank you for listening to the Her Self-Expression podcast. Host Beverly Price believes that you are intelligent, worthy, and beautiful. Her goal every episode is to help you believe that too and have the confidence to take steps toward creating the life you want. You can find podcast episodes, blog posts, resources, and more at www.herselfexpression.com. If you liked this episode, please pay it forward, follow, and share with your friends.